Good evening. Welcome to episode 41 of the Zeta Dev Chat podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking infrastructure as code with Charlene Chitoka. I hope I got that right. Um, with me is Kevin as always. How's it, Kevin? Hey, Len. How's it going? And I'm Len, of course. <laughs> um, okay, Charlene, would you mind giving us a bit of background and just leading us into the subject of infrastructure as code? Hi, my name is Charlene. Uh, I'm currently a developer uh, working at ThoughtWorks, so it's a consultancy company. Um, work with different clients. Uh, I've worked with some clients in South Africa and some other outside of South Africa. So um, my daily job is just like what of every single developer, I guess, sit in front of a computer and do things. Uh, that's pretty much about me. Um, awesome, awesome. Well, welcome to the podcast and thanks for thanks for being here this evening. So I believe you you do quite a lot of work with uh, infrastructure as code. Is that right? Uh, I've done some work uh, with that, uh, just because I seem to take particular interest into that, actually. So uh, the first time I got thrown into, it was kind of a DevOps project in the distributed team in one of the cloud uh, providers uh, in the US. So it was kind of a nice discovery for me, seeing, seeing that world out there and what happened actually after the code has been written. So that just got me into being passionate. So I'm that person that would write a story and then move and do some stuff around infrastructure and sometimes for three months and then back to the same. So uh, I just enjoyed that just a little bit, I guess. Okay, that's great. Maybe we can just take a little bit of a step back there and, and you can give us an idea of what uh, infrastructure as code means for you. So... Um, the way I see infrastructure as code is finding a way to model your infrastructure using some kind of a high level language, right? So you, uh, I'm talking about having a proper full set language that is designed just to give you the ability to model your infrastructure. And in terms of how do you set it up? How do you provision it? How do you um, manage your server, the configuration in your server? How do you even deploy if you have an app that you want to deploy? How do you do all these things using a language that is dedicated to it? And how do you apply some of the software development practices that you've learned uh, into achieving that? So looking at infrastructure the same way you will just look at any application, that's pretty much how I see infrastructure as code. Right, and, and the point of all of this is to automate things, is that right? The point of all of this is to start by automating things, but it's, it's, I, the way I see it is even beyond just automation. Um, because, um, so that, that's, that's always part, and some of the practices that people have adopted is because uh, there was a big focus into just automation, automation, and the, the rest kind of got lost uh, through the year. So the okay. way I see infrastructure as code is it's automation plus other things. So it's automation plus good software development practices. And, and that's how I said. Okay, so automation, good software development practices. What else goes into the infrastructure as code bucket? So uh, there is that, there is uh, uh, automation, there is software development practices. And then by when I'm talking about good software development practice, it's, it kind of encapsulates a lot of things. You're talking about the way you do your versioning. You're talking about the, the way you look at some of the designing, uh, modeling uh, your infrastructure in the way that that uh, applicable to your organization or, or your context. 
and putting all these things together into a bucket at the end of the day, just having something that is automated and that is done in a, in a way that is repeatable, that is reliable and consistent. Um, right, right. But now when, when you talk about modeling your infrastructure, maybe you could give us some insight there for, because from a sort of naive point of view, infrastructure is kind of fixed. You know, you've got disks and CPU and networks and networks work in a certain way. You don't really have much uh, choice. Uh, what do you mean by kind of modeling your infrastructure or what sort of choices face people who are, who are looking at this infrastructure as a code space? So um, when you start with automation, uh, at, uh, the, the thing about infrastructure as code is I see it as a different layer. So we talk at that layer where you still have your disk um, and wh whether you want to configure a, a physical disk, uh, server or you want to do create multiple servers, virtual servers, right? right so you, right. Start, you start at that layer. And then, and then there is a part about after you've actually configured that server, what are the things that you want to put there? Uh, so when I talk about modeling, um, for example, I've seen uh, people create DSL around how do I want my, my, my VLANs to be modeled, which one do I want, uh, mm. and, 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 and taking time to actually create whatever DSL or whatever configuration that makes sense in your environment, that's really what I mean by modeling. So the, okay. the, the, this space are not going to change a thing, but the way you're going to kind of see your servers and the way you kind of want, uh, I've seen uh, places where they want to think about, uh, this is what I want to apply in all the things that I consider as production servers. This is what I want to apply to all the things that I consider as dev servers. Where I've also seen a configuration where it didn't matter whether you were a development server or a production server, because that's how the kind of organization understood it so yeah, so the base the base configurations are all aligned and exactly the same across all your across all the machines right yes um so uh, at the end of the day it's really the choice uh, the organization choose to meet but there need to be some sort of uh, thought put into it and chosen kind of perspective of how you want to go into it and make it clear across the organization consistency is key as i say yeah yeah um, and I mean, that was an interesting point you brought up there. People are creating their own DSLs to abstract and, and be able to talk about some of these low-level bits and pieces like VLANs in a network and, and storage is a big one, I think, that people want to you know, be able to talk about in a flexible way when they're coming to um, that moment where you take the application and try to put it into production. I think that's that's what we're talking about here, where we're saying... How does how should production or whatever look like for my application? Do I need a database server and six networks between the database server and the web servers and all that sort of stuff? How how coupled is the the modeling to what the application needs in from your point of view? I think depending on how you design, um, you can make a couple or you can also not make a couple. What I've seen works best is when it is not coupled at all. So when when we talk about the, the way the villain should be and stuff, and, and that becomes a, a totally different kind of thing. And the way you actually decide, so you have kind of a base configuration. This is what I want to apply to my servers if it's in, in this environment or another environment. And that 
piece of job when you separate it totally from the way the application is actually deployed. I've seen that kind of things work very well. So then you have the process of actually just building your server or rebuilding it um, um, every time actually, rebuilding your server and then you have the process of application deployment or, or whatever else you want to do. And then building your server, now part of it becomes the place where you decide which IP should it have, uh, what are the firewalls, uh, uh, role that I, I should be open and then you can part of this actually do now some sort of validation as in uh, am I the firewall that rule that I want do I actually apply and and then when all of that is satisfied then you get into the step when you actually do your application deployment and they don't have to be coupled at all uh, depending on how you want to do it if you use um, something like uh, chef for example um, so you would have your your step where you can actually do some sort of pre-auditing the environment, right? So after I've done all the script to build my server, then I can run some sort of steps to say, hey, can I connect to this port number on this server? Are the rules okay? Am I being filtered or what? And then when all of that is satisfied, then go into the phase of application deployment. And the two of them can be totally separated in such a way that you can have script just in charge of rebuilding your environments and then other one just in charge of doing your application deployments and they don't have because then you can do application deployment without rebuilding and that gives you a bit more flexibility hmm, that's super super interesting i think one thing you touched on there is some kind of idea of being able to test and verify infrastructure from the code does that uh, make sense am i hearing you correctly yes and that's very important <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we get to horror stories, I can probably tell you a lot of horror stories there, but uh, that's something we tend to ignore a lot when we start to think about infrastructure. And so now talking about the different layers, uh, I could start, for example, the, the, the place where I talked about uh, the way some people have DSL to model their stuff. Right. One of the things that I've seen people do is, uh, does my box have the right IP address? Uh, is is this port actually listening uh did i close all the stuff uh, does the user can people access true routes they shouldn't be able to uh, is it possible and you have those kind of steps after you've rebuilt your server and you just run those validation steps every single time and uh, and now the question comes as in um do unit tests matter at that level um and people have different um point of view on that is unit test available is it even needed or is integration test that's really what matters right because I'm, I'm really actually testing whether i can connect to a certain server yeah, and it, whatever it makes and that sense point. that integration tests would be more so, valuable right yep so at yeah. that layer integration tests make more sense now having said that it doesn't exclude if you're gonna go toward the path of actually creating your own dsl you want to know that um, before you even get to the integration layer, your DSL is not going to go and blow up some server, right? right that would right, be yeah. disastrous. So <laughs> at that point, you could write some unit tests at that layer. Uh, but then when you know that your DSL is not baggy, there's no stupid syntax mistake and all those kind of stuff. And then, um, and then when you actually get to build your server, you want to be able to run some sort of integration test. And depending on the tool you use, um, I know Chef has an audit phase. Yeah, and you can do some cool stuff where you can actually audit uh, your environment before even running the, the cookbooks that are supposed to do uh, more provisioning. So then you can make decision based on the result. So which is really cool. Um, I'm not sure how whether Ansible provide uh, something like this, but there are a lot of tools now with Kitchen, you can pretty much 
test your environment life right so uh, or you can do the old way very old-fashioned um a command like nc can save you a, a lot of damage uh, just being able to see whether the server where your database is supposed to be is even out listening to that port or not a simple command like nc could save you some of those trouble so um my my thing is not so much on whatever tools you decide to use to do the testing, but just ensure testing is available and, and that. And then you get to now how you do the application deployments. Um, and then, the, then that's where you see mostly your chef, your Ansible, uh, uh, really, really come very strong. Uh, and you want to utilize whatever they provide you to, to be able to do those tests, right? With, with Kitchen, you can use, uh, set up your cookbooks you want to test and actually just test whatever it's going to be uh, before you even actually do in your real server. And then when you get into there, you can do some kind of a post auditing phase to see, has my application been deployed okay? Uh, is it listening to the pod? Is if I don't want HTTP to to be, then is is redirection happening and all those kind of things and and that's that's testing is important. That's that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, Ver verification especially, I'm sure. Okay, so that leads leads to another interesting point. Uh, maybe you can talk us through the the sort of dev life cycle of these kinds of units of automation, if you want to call them that. Um, how does, it, how does it, a day in the life of an infrastructure coder look? Hmm. Okay. A day in the life of infrastructure. That's an interesting one. Um, so I'm going to give the what it should be provided. You are in a very ideal environment where you can spin up a server real quick and you don't have to wait very long in a very long uh, pipeline and all those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying and, and I'm assuming from some of the experience you've been having that uh, it's not that easy where you are at the moment. But yes, yeah, so ideally you want an API where you can just call it and you get a server return from that API. So uh, I worked in a project uh, because it was a cloud provider company that had lots, lots of infrastructure. So basically, uh, we were working on helping, um, working with the, the DevOps, uh, I put in quotes, DevOps team, uh, and then helping them to write kind of an internal application to make whatever they were doing visible. For example, uh, when deployment is happening, can the dev team know that deployment is happening, write up some sort of small bots that would broadcast that and those kind of things, uh, having like a dashboard kind of application. So uh, all of this was staying in different uh, servers. So the, 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 the default thing would be uh, we are using Jenkins, so because mm. those Jenkins, we were even able to automate the pipeline. So um, by with using Jen Jenkins jobs, um, I don't know. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard about that system and I, I saw a lot of people crying at the end of it. But yeah, it worked pretty well for us, uh, I'll say, though. Um, mm. So and because it was a distributed team, um, it it just made sense to have our pipeline controlled into version control. And when someone made the change, we could just track why they made that change. Um, so, and then that would start with, um, let's say I'm working on something and I want to deploy it on a server. It was basically, uh, I, I check in a code, uh, regardless of whether it's application code or infrastructure code, uh, and that would go and, and it would destroy the server and it would build the server. 
and then we'll click on the server and then deploy the application and all the way. So we're using uh, continuous deployment. And, and if anything goes wrong in the middle of that, just broadcast and something didn't go right. And this is an ideal environment because I'm talking about as a check-in, uh, the ability to actually destroy, the ability to actually destroy and rebuild the server and deploy the application into it and run a set of tests and people. And, and that happened like in a span of 10 minutes, uh, the application was not very big. Uh, this is the yeah. kind of the ideal flow that you want uh, to have. That uh, if I check in infrastructure code, uh, it should be tested and it should be rebuilt. Um, if uh, if you are doing continuous deployment, if you are not doing continuous deployment, then you want to have uh, um, oh, it's a, it's a big application. Also, it's an external thing. Then you want to have some sort of uh, this is my dev environment, this is my testing environment, and then this is going to go into production because uh, you don't want everything, especially if you're working in a hectic thing. Not a lot of people are comfortable with you pushing a change and then all of a sudden it's on, it's on the banking app. So uh, then you, you create so, sort of different environment for your servers and you just, whatever I say, you replicate it in those environment, literally rebuilds and uh, deploy the application. Now, this is the ideal, ideal world. Um, rebuilding yeah. is, is really good and should always be done because you don't want to have situation where your, your servers have, have gone way smarter than you, where you don't remember why it's acting different from other people, other servers and those that because snowflake, right? So it's, it's a good thing yeah. to always make it a practice to rebuild your server as often as possible. But unfortunately, that's not always possible every single time. Uh, when you have to, you have a big team and the resources are scarce and the pipeline and you don't have enough agents and all the kind of things uh, come into play. Yeah. So, Look, yeah. I, I, I think I just want to interrupt you there and say that I think that it's always possible. It's just, you know, people's feeling like, are, are they courageous enough to do it? Yes. Uh, it's always about the people, right? Uh, yeah. Someone told me something that I think changed a lot the way I see software development is if you thought that software development was about computer and machine, you've been lied to. Uh, it's about the people. <laughs> so yes. a, a lot of what we do, especially when you, you start to think about infrastructure as code, it's, it's trying to make the people around you very comfortable. And I'm talking about the security people and the database admins and, and all of that. And when you go to them and say, I'm going to automate this piece, and it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, and, and, you, and you have these meetings in which it's a kind of like emotionally therapeutic meeting. Everybody brings their fears to the table and starts talking about you know the ways things are going to go wrong and what they're really scared about. And you have to, you have to reassure them before moving on, yeah. So, Shalim. Yes. When you, when the team rebuilds the infrastructure, like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, so the app's been deployed a few times without rebuilding the service from a clean slate and then kind of rebuilds uh, yes. from fresh to get that uh, golden master. I think that's what they call it. What tools do you guys use to get that? step right because i've heard of some folks using packer with chef to build these images but i've not done it myself so i don't know what's really involved there so uh in the settings that we have currently that's part of rebuilds uh it's kind of abstracted away from us we the there is a separate team that wrote an api uh we kind of just consume and and they've um 
they've abstracted that that thing. So that that's kind of settings that I have currently. So um, all the future teams that want to rebuild can just use the API um, to do that. Um, uh, and and that's uh, I think yeah. That's how we're doing it currently. And I think the API uses SUS manager and, and some sort of stuff around there. I, I don't have the, the details of how they actually do it. But uh, one of the things that, that, for example, I've seen has worked well for us because it's different teams at different places. The, the team that in charge of that just exposed an API and then we don't have to worry about, about that layer. I guess it's also because of, yeah, they want to have single point of failures kind of. To know what to go to. Yes, that's really nice not having to worry about that. So, um, but in the previous uh, team that I was, we, we just used, um, we did do, I think it was just true normal. Oh, yeah, for the local one, it was just your normal variant. That, that's not really uh, the thing. And at the Rebuilding again, we had an API, and then we use Ansible on top of that to to kind of decide uh, the the, um, the configuration, how to fit the configuration. What should the IP be? What should the server's uh, address be? And that that configuration will sit on the Ansible level, and it was pretty nice. Then I'm I'm curious, uh, what of the which of the normal software development practices would apply to? Um, to this infrastructure as code. You also go for keeping things dry and writing all these custom modules <coughs> or APIs for these DSLs, or do you just kind of like start shotgunning until the team kind of finds their feet with documenting all the infrastructure this way and setting up this automation and then only start distilling it down? Yeah, so um, in terms of software development practices, uh, I think the, the biggest one that I took was always um, so you want to start, and and then that that goes with the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, silly. Uh, so you want to start as simple as possible. With uh, there is a tendency when it gets to infrastructure, people always have the tendency to over-engineer it, and you want to go, you start to go big, and you see modules everywhere, and you see uh, maybe I will need this in the future, and then you do something that is overly complex, and, and even yourself can remember what you did and why you did it. Uh, if if that involves, let's say I'm using uh, I'm chef for example and i want to write a cookbook that's going to uh, provision some server and deploy my app i will start with very simple thing what is it that i need to be on this server uh, for me to be able to deploy the app and just take it from there and uh, whether or not you want to do tdd uh, i've actually seen people do tdd <laughs> when when writing infrastructure code like hardcore tdd uh, with puppets and things like that. Whether or not you choose to do that, um, uh, I always say as long as infrastructure code is, is considered, it's not much of a problem. What is more important is that as you go, you keep the, the, the principle as in you want to keep it simple and you want to refactor. If you see you start to, to detect some kind of a duplication, stop there and, and then just make it dry. Always also, and there are also a lot of cases where 
you will join a team and the, the code would already be in place. Uh, look for opportunity to refactor. Look for things. Is, is there some sort of duplication? Because a tendency that I've seen is when I'm working with application code, as soon as I open a file, I'll be like, oh, this is awful. I will change it and I'll do this. But when you get to infrastructure code, people are very skeptical. It's like, ooh, I don't know what's going to happen. If I change this line of code, maybe it's being used somewhere else and I'm going to break the old world. If you start to feel those kind of, 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 of uncomfortability, then start by the same way you go about refactoring your code. Write a big acceptance test. Right now I'm talking about now integration test at that layer. So use your kitchen. This is what I think this is configuration supposed to be. This is my end state. And then you start to extract little pieces and, and still test that your, your end goal is end result is still happening. And then you take it to there. So uh, your refactoring, uh, the same way you look at your application code, you want to start looking infrastructure code the same way. At the end of the day, even if it's, it's, it's talking about infrastructure, it's still code. Right. So you want to, to keep it as dry as possible. You want you want to keep it as simple as possible. You want to refactor it. You want to have your test, whether or not you want to have unit test. Um, uh, it's it's your choice. But I would say always have integration tests like right? as always have integration tests. If you are going to change something, especially if it's it's the same kind of settings that will apply to different environments. Right. Let's say I am deploying writing a, a cookbook or a, a playbook to deploy an app. Right. And you don't want to be opening some posts that are not supposed to be open into production, for example. Example, right so it is it becomes very key when you are dealing with infrastructure code to write tests um, often people will be just like oopsie oh I forgot that and 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 that that I find it very careless it's because it's infrastructure no one is actually gonna read it the way people see it, right it's not actually gonna lead into production so no one really cares I know what I put down uh, and we always approach it in that way, and we forget that sometimes people move on, and then another person will come and have to maintain that code. If you always keep the same eye that you have when you're writing your application code, what will happen if I had to go and someone else has to come and maintain this? What are the kind of difficulties they could have? Uh, don't have your 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 setting too tightly coupled, right? Uh, and um, there was a question about uh, how you, you do you want them to be coupled? Would you want them to be decoupled? And I say, I prefer when, when are, they are decoupled. For example, the step about where you are actually rebuilding your server and doing all these things. It doesn't have to be tightly coupled to the place where you're actually deploying the app. And also the place where you're actually deploying the app. It doesn't need to know about your CI server. That, that's not the job of your, your chef cookbook or your Ansible playbook. It doesn't care whether the, the deployable, your package will come from Bamboo or your Jenkins or, or, or your, your Travis. It shouldn't have to care about that, right? So you, this, you, you keep an eye into all those kind of things. Uh, you, you try to decouple as much because then it becomes painful because uh, tomorrow you decide you don't like Bamboo anymore because it's trouble and you want to start using Go. And then you have to go and start changing all those kind of things because you have made them so tightly coupled. Or someone go, and this is very important, especially the kind of structure that I've seen a lot of um, big companies um, in South Africa. I'm talking about your insurance and stuff. The teams are, are really separated. So the one that actually maintaining your, your agents, build server, uh, 
a CI server, it's it's a different team. Like there will be another team maintaining your security. There will be different teams. So you don't want to be tightly coupled into it because they can make a decision to go from Travis today uh, to Jenkins tomorrow. And and if you are too coupled to that, and it becomes a pain. So you want to keep the very same. Um, principles that you we've learned throughout the year all the pains that we've experienced when writing application code oh if you're not careful you're going to experience that when you are you are also writing infrastructure code and the big one is make sure it's versioned and and those and that i want to touch on that because um version becomes more than just using your git or your svn <laughs> And when you are talking about infrastructure code, if you are going to use something like Chef or Puppets or Ansible, they, they have something, some versioning on top of just using your Git because that then that's not just enough. Um, let's say you have a, a Chef server configuration uh, set up. Then uh, the Chef server, the way it works, it, it maintains cookbooks, right? So then when, let's say I'm deploying into some nodes, the node will tell the server, hey, give me uh, the cookbook that's going to show me how to deploy my app. And then it's going to give it to you. So now, the way you do the changes, you may want to try to introduce a breaking change, something that if you do, uh, it's going to break something in production and you want to isolate the version. At that point, just using Git might not be enough. So the server needs also to know how to keep different versions of the same cookbooks. And different tools will give you different ways to do it. I know Puppet also has some sort of version control in place. So having your Git checking your every check-in is good, but then you also want to have a way to actually version them in whatever place or whatever server, whatever uh, uh, configuration you are doing it. Uh, that if I have a version that is called 1.3.0, there should only be one version called 1.3.0. There will never be two of them, like as in one line different. So they should always match. If there is server number one that has 10 line for it, server number two should have 10 line exactly matching. But the moment you start having a change into the thing, Git will know about it, but whatever is maintaining your configuration doesn't know about it then you get into big trouble. Uh, and, and I've been beaten by that uh, a lot of time. We have a lot of horror stories because, um, so we have different teams uh, and we have different cookbooks. Some of them are kind of your, your base configuration cook. Like say, I want to be able to have some monitoring in all my servers, right? So then I write a cookbook that will do that. But then I decide, yes, I want to add also this thing when I want to remove this thing. And you make that change and you upload it under the very same version of the previous one. And then it breaks it for every single server that uses it. So uh, version control is really, really important when you're dealing with infrastructure. I would say get familiar with the mechanism that is used by the tool that you're using and make sure you use it. Um, it's really important. When you, you want to start thinking about scalability and maintenance and all this thing, uh, because uh, it can get really, really tricky and really, really painful. So uh, these are some of the software development practices that uh, I would encourage uh, people to use. Yeah, I think that as overarching principles, the things that you really value when you're doing infrastructure as code is that you want to, as we started off talking about it being automation, um, but the principles that we're following there is that you want it to be something that's repeatable across different environments um, and 
you want to have that consistency across different different servers and different environments. Um, so having that round of uh, oh, that suite of integration tests is something that will give you a lot of confidence to know that you can make changes to this uh, to your infrastructure code uh, and that you shouldn't be breaking things. And it doesn't matter whether those tests are something using something formal like service spec or whether it's uh, just a, a bash script that uses netcat to check that ports are open, I suppose. As long as you've got some repeatable way of testing the uh, testing your infrastructure uh, and that everything is operating as you expect it to be, uh, you, you should be you should be in the clear on that. Yes, you, um, definitely. So the as I say, it's integration testing. You need some sort of integration testing, and that's really key. That's how you're gonna make sure that you are not breaking existing stuff, um, and that's really important. Uh, I've also wanted to add into uh, something that I've seen a lot in infrastructure code. Is again, as I say. No one is going to read it. So it's, it's just for us folks so that we can get the stuff out there. Uh, then they get really, really long, as in really, really long files, difficult to read. Uh, so please don't do that if you're going to write infrastructure as code. Uh, the same way you open a, a class and you'll see, I don't know, 2,000 lines and you'll get scared. You, you if you are not scared when you open your infrastructure code and you see 2,000 lines, then there's a problem. <laughs> Think about way to, to, to cut it into pieces and to model it um, differently if there is a, a things that need to be changed. If it means writing small playbooks or, or, or small cookbooks, or uh, do it. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I had to say that because I've seen very, I call them monster configuration files. Uh, and um, we've, we've uh, if you're using something like Ruby, for example, it's it's really cool because then you can even start uh, seeing your infrastructure the way you 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 see, like in terms of object and stuff. I've uh, one of the projects I worked on, we we went down even to the level of of saying what does it mean to be an artifact in our project, and we have a, a class that that more than an artifact. What does it mean to be a deployment, and then we had something that represented. What does it mean to be a nodes, and, and then our DSL on top, we just literally call that, and that code is tested, and that code can be unit tested, right? Because uh, you 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 start to think about your the person using the DSL doesn't need to know about that that, that level of how it actually went into to, to writing your node. What does it mean to be an environment in and thing? What does it mean to be a segment? We we had uh, we using uh, blue green deployment, so um, we had like the blue and the, the green segment, and only one would be active. And then you can do that much level of testing and and just expose your, your DSL on top, and which is really cool. So this applies really nicely when you're working with uh, VMs, uh, or a virtualized environment. Uh, have you got any experience working with these kind of tools when working with bare metal servers? No, uh, I haven't worked with bare metal servers on this this kind of thing. 
Um, but I've done some uh, reading on it, and apparently it's not supposed to be different um, because when you think about it at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be a server. And if it's on the network and it's reachable, then it shouldn't matter whether you are a bare metal or you are uh, an actual machine, right? If you, have, you are on the network and, and I can give you a domain name and I can give you an IP, then how I actually go about dealing with it, it doesn't really matter. I... I actually worked once um, in a team with someone who automated a physical machine, his Mac. So from it could switch from one to another one and just rebuild. It would wake up and then literally just format his operating system. And from the time it does that to the time it installs all the apps and then it gets all these different config for Bash, for, for Veeam, for, for whatever from the different repo he had. And all that that was fully automated. So when you think about something like that, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a physical machine or whether it's a VM, if if you are accessible through the network, and you then it shouldn't matter that you are a VM or you are a physical machine. I assume there would be other consideration maybe, but uh, I've definitely seen that working on a physical machine. I haven't done it myself, uh, so I can't comment much. Yeah, it's exactly the same. <clears throat> At least in 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 my the, my view, the only thing is you don't have that nice like delete and rebuild. Like somebody has to walk up to the machine and go format it, or maybe there's another like over the network kind of protocol you can use if TFTP boots or or something like that. But otherwise, Kevin, it's it's exactly the same. Cool. I've always worked with this in a virtualized environment, so I haven't got any experience working with bare metal. So I'd be curious to play around with that. Um, if there is some network protocol that can be used to control that would be pretty cool yeah maybe that's a homework for us well, find out how you can if you reboot a physical machine if you can reboot it into a blank slate at least one partition of it you don't want to throw away all your all your data so I want to ask well I'll be that guy it, does a docker file constitute as infrastructure as code that's a good question and that's a question I ask myself too um, so, from what I've uh, seen, I get two different answers. I haven't had time to play with Docker myself. Um, and so, people say, yes, it does, and people say, no, it doesn't. But the way I've seen Docker work, Docker is it's not at the same level as your chef and, and your puppets and your Ansible. I think that they, they kind of answer two different problems. Um, Docker is all about... Uh, I don't want to have a fully fresh VM. Uh, I, I just want to have a set of containers that are going to share the same unit. And, and Docker kind of play on that level. Uh, so, and then you can have your chef and your Ansible and still thing. Um, whether or not it counts as infrastructure as code, every time I raise that question myself, I get, I get kind of different answers. Uh, that uh, people will tell you yes and people will tell you no. Um, I would say... Anything, uh, any high-level language that allow you to, to manage a server and to provision it, uh, and it has to be a fully-fledged language, that's infrastructure as code. Uh, anything else than that, I, I don't say it as part of it. Now, uh, and, and then that will come into the same category, comes is, is that your vagrant counts as infrastructure as code. Uh, I usually don't put it in that list, uh, for example. So... I guess that would be my answer to, to that question. What's your view on that? 
I think I sit in the same camp as you. I think I can understand why you would get two answers. Um, I think the first one that says yes, it is, and it's sufficient, is the it's from the point of view of somebody who's not running the infrastructure that runs the containers. They they just look at the application, and it is sufficient to describe this one piece of the universe. But that thing needs to go somewhere and be run, and, and then the people that actually look at that infrastructure, the guys that have to deploy Docker, daemons, and set up networking and software-defined networking and all this other stuff that's needed, or Kubernetes, or any kind of, kind of this services, to them they go like, yeah, the Docker file is just one piece of a very, very big puzzle. So, yeah, but I, I, I think I agree with you. But as soon as you say it's one piece of the big puzzle, I would say, yes, it is part of your infrastructure as code. Um, just because you'd be doing, if, if you weren't using Docker, you'd be using Chef for fairly similar functions, whether that be setting up uh, runtime environments, uh, setting up deployment locations for code and so forth. Uh, you end up doing a lot of that in the Docker file, but a Docker file on its own isn't enough to constitute an entire system. So it's one piece yes. of the puzzle. Yes. Yeah. Nicely put. Nicely put. I think if you're familiar with Chef, um, a Docker file would be like 80% your your deploy uh, recipe or your deploy resource, and then 20% just the dependencies for the deployment to take part. But you still need all that other fluff around it for it to actually work. Yeah, something else we'll still have to handle uh, setting up your network mapping, firewall rules, and so forth from on the actual base VMs that are running the Docker containers. Anyway, you I don't think we, do don't think we should turn this into a full Docker discussion. No, no. <laughs> I just wanted you to, to put that out because I think if we don't cover it, it will be asked. <laughs> But it does tie into something that we were talking about with um, the overarching principles that we were talking about, it being something that's automated to be repeatable and consistent in different environments. And a tool like Docker, being able to run containers, certainly gives you a high degree of that repeatability. If you've got an image that's working in one place, you can quite easily shift that to another place and run the same image. Uh, it gives you a repeatable deployment uh, story. Yeah, yes, it does. And then, I guess, one of the last things I want to ask or know about is retrofitting the stuff onto an existing infrastructure. And this actually, I think, also ties in to what Kevin asked about bare metal. I mean, if you're in the cloud, it's probably better to just start rebuilding new servers until they mm -hmm. match what you've currently got. But mm -hmm. retrofitting it onto older servers, do you think it's a good idea if you heard of people doing it? So, I've heard of people doing it. Um, well, as you say, it's easier if you just rebuild your server and, and, and then you get it from there. Uh, retrofitting, what I've seen work is how you start at the kind of a higher level of... Uh, the, the way most of those work, for example, your chef and, and your Ansible, they, they promise you that they, I, I, okay, I'm going to try getting this word right. I depotent. Uh, I didn't potent. Yes, <laughs> that's the right accent. So uh, 
and 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 then you you don't want to go start very strict you want to start on the thing that you will know will not necessarily break what is existing there so uh, let's say i have an existing server and i want to start deploying my app in there and i want uh port 443 to be open and so the first thing you want to know is, uh, about that particular server is whether or not uh, let's say 44 the port is closed whether or not there is a reason behind it being closed. Maybe there was some existing requirement that needed it to be closed. So uh, a lot of the ISC thing, depending on how your team is structured, you end up having discussion with, with others, kind of having the context around that. So I guess my, my point is, regardless on how you go about it, you kind of want to have the context about that certain server. Uh, they, 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 you want to, to find out about the thing that will touch on your configuration. As, as, okay, I see this port is closed. Was that a reason why it is closed? And then you start just at that layer on top. It's probably easier to start there and then say, okay, I'm going to open up this port and I'm going to deploy my app. Uh, and then you you stop at that level. But what you really want to do, if you get the opportunity, as you say, it will be to rebuild that server and 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 kind of start from from scratch. Because then you are certain that everything that is there, it is all that you want to be there, and the things that you don't want to be there is there. So let's say you it's not there. You start at the top and you, you look at that your pod is open. And let's say for some security reason now, something that used to be open now need to be closed. Then you also depending on the tool or even just your normal NC, you can check that is it closed now and all those kind of things. And you, that way you're going to kind of uh, mutate your server to path by path to bring into the state that you consider ideal for you. Uh, but you don't want to go to Big Bang. Uh, start by only the things that you think are necessary for whatever needs you need to be fulfilled. Is it so that you can deploy some application? Is it so that you can have some dashboard running? Or is it just so you can check the state of the server, some of the firewalls rule that you have, or, or you want to make sure that it's able to connect to some particular network or some particular server? And if you start just at that layer and, and you, you move way up to down, and, and as you go, adding those requirements, you eventually get to, hopefully, to a state where you you will be, I won't say 100% sure, because you can only be as 100% sure as what the entire configuration say if it was rebuilt from scratch. But you will be to a state where your requirements will be satisfied if you take from there, uh, from that approach. Um, that's something I've seen, and I've seen work quite well. But eventually, we, we, we had to rebuild because people were still like, mm, yeah, no, uh, no, okay. So we tried to push for it, and, and eventually we just ended up rebuilding. So I think we're getting towards time on this. Um, perhaps, Charlene, um, could you give us some pointers of perhaps when you started getting into infrastructure as code, what were some good resources for learning how to build up infrastructure as code? Uh, we've mentioned tools like Chef and Ansible and Docker, uh, and uh, I know that the learning curve of some of these tools can be pretty sharp, uh, especially if you haven't done much DevOps work before. Uh, where would you recommend people get started if they want to start off by setting up some infrastructure by codifying the, the infrastructure. So I think the, I won't say the first step, but the very important step is first to know uh, 
what is it that you want to achieve? Uh, as you say, some of them can be very complex. Um, and sometimes your needs are not that complex. Uh, so, for example, uh, chef can be quite, the learning curve for chef can be quite deep, especially because there are so many different ways to do just the one same thing you want to do, right? And and you the first choice you want to make is whether you are looking for a tool that is um, very... Uh, ingrained with a particular programming language or that is more declarative uh, kind of style and 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 has a, a like something like puppets or or something or like yeah um, ansible that uses really yaml uh, or, or you want to to get your hand with ruby uh, one question i get always asked is do i need to know be a ruby expert to 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 use chef and I often don't know how to answer that because I it was I'm kind of biased. I knew Ruby before I I, wrote, I did Chef, so uh, I would say uh, Ansible is if it's an easy one to start with. Um, they have uh, a website um, Ansible Works. Uh, Ansible.com. They they there are a lot of tutorials there. Um, it's it's really easy to follow up, um, and that's that's where I started. <laughs> just on the website, okay. How do I write my first playbook? Uh, just what you want to do is to just get at least the hang of it. What is it it's trying to to do? And you start with something simple. How do I uh, get um, this package into my Ubuntu server? Write something small for it. Um, and and then try it, and that that excitement that you just get will, will keep you going. Believe me. Um, something you also want to start with if you're gonna you're gonna be doing that. Uh, if you don't have a lot of infrastructure, is uh, you want to spend some time looking at vagrants. Um, so I would say start with your vagrants uh, along with uh, something like Ansible, and 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 their their documentation is really really good to get started. Uh, I usually just start at the the people who have written the thing documentation, and then from there I go look at at, at other stuff. So I'll I'll look at vagrant documentation uh, to get an idea of what the virtualization, what does it mean, and when I say that I'm creating a, a VM in, in my thing, and then take it from there. And okay, so if I want to now use Ansible to provision my VM, how do I do it? And and then you also get to see the, the different things, how they play along. And Ansible is a really, in terms of learning curve, is, is a really good one to start with. Um, uh, um, and then uh, when you get that, then you, when you, you get to a certain level of, of understanding, then you can start looking at, is this um, the kind of level abstraction I want to stay with? Uh, do I want to go on a higher level? Do I want to use something like puppets? Do I want to go even lower? Do I want to use something like chef? Uh, and, and, and then you can start playing around with, with the tools to, to compare them. Uh, a very good resource for, for Chef is learn.chef.io. They have uh, a good tutorials that even show you uh, if you want to, to use the hosted Chef server, I think it, it's free for a month or something. Um, and, and just to get to play around uh, the different Chef configuration that you can have. Uh, so learn.chef.io for, for people who want to learn Chef, I found it also uh, very helpful. Uh, I haven't played with with salt myself. I did uh, puppets in in one of the project. Um, Puppet also has uh, a very good documentation. And 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 if you're gonna start with puppets, uh, 
you don't want to start straight away with learning what is M collective and all and all these things because then you you get quite confused. So uh, start with the basics. Just just play around. Uh, set up your VM using your vagrants or, or whatever. Even if you don't want to use vagrants, use just your normal uh, virtual box. Um, create your own VM, see that you can deploy stuff in, into it and and then just then you don't have to worry so much about vagrant and and, and then you take it from there and and have fun uh, it, it's it's really fun just the ability to knowing that you have the power to create and delete and create and and delete it's it's, it's really cool and then yes do something useful for organization i guess Cool, yeah, I think that's a great line to, line to follow to start with. Kenny, do you have any questions you want to add to that? Len, if you're still around, anything to add to that? Nothing from my side, thanks. That was great. Awesome. Cool, uh, shall we do picks then? Kenny, do you want to kick us off? I only have one, and that's Africa Burn. Do it next year. That's amazing. It's a great week to spend in the career, being completely disconnected from the normal world and just living the kindness of strangers. It's a fantastic experience. Everybody should go do it. Okay. Cool. Can't wait to hear the stories. Charlene, have you got pics for us? I want to go last. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> oh, putting me on the spotlight then. Um uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so my pick then is unit testing. Uh, I've been, oh, in the last few days, I've been trying to just be disciplined about doing test-driven development and writing tests first and really uh, letting it drive the design of my code and I've uh, and taking it to the extreme in a few cases and being pretty tough on refactoring and spending the time to do the full refactoring cycle. And it's been quite enlightening and um refreshing actually so i highly encourage that if you haven't been doing tdd in the proper tdd sense for a while uh, get get disciplined uh, that's it for me then uh, charlene okay so my pick then will be uh look at your infrastructure's code like real code and and give it some value give it some care um um and that would, of course, come from the kind of things that I've seen and I've said it again and again. And when we look at infrastructure code, we tend to neglect it a little bit just because uh, technically it's not going to end up into production. So stop. If that's what you're thinking, just stop right there and, and start looking at it as the same way you look at your application code and give it some care, give it some love. So treat it like real code. Uh, that would be my pick. Awesome. Cool. Charlene, thanks for coming to join us. Uh, it was really good chatting to you about, about infrastructure as code and unpacking us a little bit. Cool. Thanks, everybody. That's episode 41 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us ratings. You can also catch us on Twitter, Google Plus, or Facebook at ZA Dev Chat, wherever you get your social fix. And we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thank Thanks. you for inviting Bye. me.